0: There are only a few weeks left to cast your ballot. If you're mailing in your ballot for the first time and need some help, reach out to a friend that has done it before. They'll usually be happy to help you out. Alternatively, you can go to vote.org or other nonprofit, nonpartisan organizations and they can guide you on how to do this. Make your voice heard. Also, I want to thank Jerry for their Goodreads review of Read This Before Medical School. The comments you made about the USMLE testing tips, goal setting, Memory techniques and happiness strategies that we cover in the book are very appreciated. And if you would like to leave a review too, you can go to freemeded.org/slash book reviews and leave your review on Amazon, Goodreads, or whatever bookstore of choice.
1: Welcome to the Medical Mnemonist Podcast, brought to you by Med School Coach. Each episode, take a journey into the top techniques for medical mnemonics study skills, board exam tips, and accelerated learning in higher education. Now, here's your host, Chase DeMarco.
0: Michael Kosimini is the assistant professor of clinical pediatrics at the Keck School of Medicine at USC and the author of Empiric, a card game for learning guidelines-based antibiotic selection. Michael, thanks for joining me today.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm very curious about this podcast and everything people are learning here.
0: Yeah, we cover some really interesting topics here for learning. And we've had a few episodes in the past regarding gamification and game based learning. And since that is something that you have explored specifically for medical students, this is going to be a great topic and kind of use your expertise in specifically medical gaming for the students' learning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot that games can offer for learning. And I guess I should say one other piece of like background for me is I'm someone who's teaching primarily in the clinical setting. So, What I'm talking about using games or using gamification strategies for education, this is almost always in the setting where we're taking care of patients, we're on rounds or we're after rounds. It's very much or waiting in clinic between patients. So I'm coming from that framework as well.
0: And that has to have some unique challenges, I would imagine, because a lot of games that I've come across anyway are really focused on teaching students in like the basic sciences and all the quantity of information. But the procedural and the clinical aspects can be very different and very challenging. Have you kind of found that as well with your unique approach to game-based learning in that setting? There's so many different ways you can implement games. There's so many different ways you can implement gamification.
1: And I think it definitely needs to be flavored to your particular situation. I think working in a clinical setting means I'm using games and gamification that can be implemented quickly and dropped and picked back up if necessary, right? It's not a long quest in a computer game or a board game that takes more than 30 seconds to set up. It needs to be something that can be
0: in and out quickly. And you said that you use serious games in our past conversation to gamify and to teach these topics. And why do you use serious games versus a different style, different genre? A lot of people use gamification as
1: a strategy for education. Like you're attending on rounds, we'll have a PowerPoint, that's based on Jeopardy and there's like a game framework, but they're really just asking and answering questions as a way for learning. Going back to like a really fundamental difference and something that's worth talking about right up front if we're talking about games is what is gamification and what is a serious game? Gamification is something where you apply game elements to something that's not like primarily a game task. I'm using a PowerPoint that looks like Jeopardy to ask quiz questions for teaching with a group of students. Or I'm giving out like a sticker or a badge or an award when a student accomplishes a learning goal. Or I put up a leaderboard in my classroom that says, so people can look up where they are amongst the class as far as their scores to motivate learning. So gamification is like one strategy for education and one strategy primarily, I think, to like motivate behavioral changes in students. If you go to like a medical example of gamification, one that I really liked is There was this study of a laparoscopic skills trainer where they randomized a group to have a competition to see who could do better on it between two different groups of surgical residents. That's sort of applying a gamification to a task that's actually just a skills trainer, not a game. It's a gamification strategy. And that was an interesting study I saw because they surveyed their students who said, we're not motivated by competition. This is silly. We don't need to do this silly competition. And then the students that were randomized to the competition arm spent about 50% longer on the trainer than those that were randomized as just the usual course and did better on the final speed test that they did. So using a gamification strategy like a skills test in the medical resident setting can motivate behavior.
0: Yeah, and I've seen you know, card games, video games, all sorts of different media for gamified education. One of the past episodes we did with the creator of the Brosencephalon flashcard deck that's really popular past few years for students in their residency education, they've been implementing a similar thing where there's de-identified scoreboards for all of the residents so they can compete with each other without really becoming overly competitive because it's de-identified. But it seems to be a very useful technique. And it sounds like you're implementing something kind of similar.
1: There's a lot of competitive nature in medical trainees and, you know, how to hit the balance of that right is really difficult. You don't want to increase student stress to a point where they get demotivated. But you also want to encourage people to be able to see what progress that they're making and kind of reach for goals that they're able to achieve. So there's like a lot of psychology to something like that, that I don't know a ton about, but it's an interesting thing to do. I do a lot of gamification exercises where I have little pictures that I have students match up. Like these are cutaneous findings of neurocutaneous diseases match with the CNS imaging findings. So we can talk about, look at those pictures, physically handle These cards and match them up and kind of do little games just as kind of teaching exercises. But that next step after gamification is a serious game. So, a serious game is something that's like a fully developed game that's made for a purpose other than entertainment. An example I really like from the literature in academic medicine a couple of years ago, there was a game that was published called Gridlocked. Kind of looks like Clue from Above, where they play through cases in the emergency room and learn about throughput and resources in the emergency room. So that's really a standalone game, but it's not a game that you make to entertain yourself and like play with your kids. So I hear some people do that. It's primarily made to teach you about ED throughput or my game is a card game, which at its core, you're matching antibiotics to vignettes and cases, but it exists not to entertain us as a card game. It exists so that you learn those antibiotic choices.
0: So it sounds kind of like there's two phases here almost. You're starting off with a more easily implementable, more general game for all the students. And then once you take a deeper dive, then it becomes a more serious game. Am I kind of understanding that right? I think gamification is a strategy you can apply on
1: top of whatever educational setting you're using. Whereas a serious game is developed on its own as a game for the purpose of education.
0: Okay, and that seems to be a... Sort of controversial or confusing aspect about gamification is that balancing act between the entertaining aspect and the educational or serious game aspect of it. It's hard to walk that line. I've definitely seen other medical games, whether it be card games or video games, come out that might lean too heavily one way or the other, and it sort of loses the impact of being an educational system as well as an entertainment system. A challenging
1: balance, and a lot of it probably is going to be very important to people that are making those games to really heavily test them and assess what their learners are learning. I think the most important thing for those of us that are making games is to err on something that's very respectful of the time of the learner. So things should be quick unless there's a lot of evidence that they're working.
0: And then the different types of games, as we kind of mentioned a few types here, video games, card games, et cetera, you specify the use of tabletop games specifically. What led you to that sort of design?
1: I think there's a lot of reasons why tabletop is a good choice. There's one study I really liked by Mary Flanagan. She has this game. It was a tabletop game about how illness spreads and how to fight infections with viruses. And she did a study where she had a tabletop version, like the original form of the game and an iPad version of the same game. And she randomized dyads. This was like high school age kids. So randomized pairs of high school kids to play one version or the other version of the game and recorded what they talked about at the table, recorded how long they took to take their turns, and found that those that were in the tabletop game spoke a lot more together, had a lot more sort of like teamwork in how they approached the play of the game. So that sort of leans into this concept of relatedness, that interaction between learners or that interaction between learner and teacher is such an important part of how we socially want to learn, what motivates us to learn. So I think tabletop games, more so than computer games, do a good job of having us work in groups and kind of actively learn in groups. I think if you just imagine yourself like at the table with your friends playing like Catan or whatever, or playing code names and like how you guys behave, how are you when you're playing a video game? I know some people are very strategic and very in-depth about how they play video games. I'm not one of them, but I think the way you think and the way you behave as you've been socialized to play video games, as compared to how you've been socialized to play board games, I think board games Make more sense for many aspects of education.
0: Now is a great time to start taking advantage of free mentorship sessions with me, where we can study memorization techniques, exam practice techniques, and more. Just go to prospectivedoctor.com/slash/chase to reserve your spot now. And if you need content tutoring and board review prep help, you can utilize this ten percent discount at your tutoring session with Med School Coach. Go to medschoolcoach.com and select your test of choice and enter Chase 10 when making the purchase to get 10% off. Let's improve your skills and scores with these free sessions and discounted tutoring prices. I guess I'm trying to think of games that I've played in the past and if I'm thinking of a board game I'm thinking of something that's a little bit longer period of time usually but there's more communication. If it's Monopoly or Risk or something you're kind of teaming up, you have a lot of communication going on and you have the ability to interact with your other players a little bit more than maybe most card games, especially if you're thinking poker or blackjack or something like that, except for Cards Against Humanity. A lot of conversation in that one, but video games would be kind of the same way. You're really focusing more on the material there and less on collaboration, which can be a great learning tool on its own.
1: Yeah. And I don't think one of the other is the right way for education in general, but I think for sort of situations in which I work, tabletop is a much better fit. Tabletop also has a lot of advantages in that. Like it is, I can make cards with software that's available on my computer already. And I can send the files to a printer and get it printed for like 15 bucks, you know, and that's a lot cheaper and easier development process than developing a video game, at least with
0: my skill set. I have to ask, where are you actually playing these? Cause you mentioned you're in the clinical setting, you know, clinical education, usually Picturing third, fourth year medical students are following a physician around most of the time, they don't necessarily have a lot of time to play these games. How do you incorporate these into their kind of educational environment?
1: I work in two settings. So the clinic, I'll have one medical student assigned to me for the morning. We'll have it set up on the table in the physician's room. And I guess I should say pre-COVID we were doing this. It's a little bit different right now. (laughs) Maybe digital games are the way to go at the moment. We would put it out on the table and we would take turns or talk through cards between patients. Upstairs on the wards, we have like a workroom where all the residents and medical students get together and we can just play out on the table and leave it set up. It's pretty easy to fit into a
0: clinical setting, you know, with a small card game. Okay. So let's say students are listening to this and they're like, how can I utilize this right now to improve my own learning? How can I study with this technique? And I know you mentioned in the past that there are some tools that you use, some tools and tricks to make your own card game, possibly. Are there certain things that students could maybe implement now to gain some benefit in their own learning at the moment?
1: My bias is as someone who's doing the teaching as opposed to someone who's doing the learning. And of course, developing a game is an extremely good way to learn something because the time it takes to apply that knowledge and build it into a game is really you have to cement that knowledge before you can do it. That's probably too in depth of a process for someone who's like trying to learn something for this one block. There are a lot of like just off the shelf kind of free to print games you can get. I think the EM3 group, which is I think like an emergency medicine or peds emergency medicine group out of England has some awesome ones. They've got a pediatric EKG game. They've got pediatric dermatology game. They've got both peds and adult ortho games. These are all like cards that you can print that with nice visual images and matching. It's a simple matching game, but it's one you could take off the shelf during that appropriate rotation and use. So that's one I would definitely recommend for educators. If you look on MedEd portal, there's a couple, a lot of them really are just like frameworks for quiz questions and almost like bordering on gamification as opposed to like a serious game. But there's some other things you can search through the MedEd portal that are free to print as well for games. would plug my own game if you're learning antibiotics and pediatrics or emergency medicine i've got one that you can print for free at empiricgame.com which is again mostly matching the correct antibiotic to the clinical vignette but there's a lot of information encoded into the antibiotic cards like mechanism of delivery spectrum of activity a lot of visual cues built into these physical cards that help you more quickly memorized. Oh yeah. The ones with the little red oval has cover Pseudomonas. So now I remember that, you know, Piptazo, meropenem, Cipro, you know, what our anti-pseudomonas are or what our anti-mersas are with visual cues on the cards.
0: I like the aspect of the visual cues because antibiotics are notoriously difficult to memorize. There's no logic or reason to it. It's just kind of the evolution of the bugs. and it changes all the time too. So it's kind of the bane of every student's medical existence there for a while. So I like adding that extra visual puzzle piece to help boost their memory in this. And I'm wondering if you have something in place for when these mechanisms change, not the mechanism itself, but when new drug strain resistance becomes available, how do these cards change to match the new data?
1: Yeah, that's a super important question. Like the game is primarily framed on the current red book, which I think covers through 2022. But, you know, new things happen all the time. Like Fidoximycin was recently approved for pediatric C. diff, but that's not covered in the most recent IDSA guidelines. So there's no card and that is not an answer on the back of the card. So, you know, this sort of things, I'm making them very cheap to print and I use a print on demand service so I can actually update the files live and they're currently being updated right now his ability to kind of change the cards but that's a very tricky aspect now the stuff that's a little bit more static is you are like picturing a card if it's a blue card it's a beta lactam ampicillin will be a beta lactam forever the mechanism of action where it attaches to that penicillin binding protein that i have in the little cartoon that's going to stay the same the general spectrum of activity is going to stay the same sure you know staph aureus has developed resistance to penicillin's I guess that was maybe not more than 40 years ago, but things will change in what they cover. But the general spectrum of activity stays pretty much the same. Metronidazole is still an antiparasitic and anti-anaerobic bacteria drug, and that's going to stay the same, and it's still going to work through its same mechanism.
0: It's an important question. Metro's not recommended for C. diff as of a few years ago, I think, or is that? Yes, yeah, so metronidazole is
1: still okay to use first line for first episode in children. For adults, it's behind vancomycin and fidoximycin. I think the IDSA guidelines say, if the others are not available, this is okay, but it's really not what you're supposed to use anymore. So that was like, what, a year old
0: guideline, something like that. Moving target. And once you memorize it a certain way, unless you're in the clinic constantly using it, it's really difficult to shift how you memorize it the first time to how you might need to memorize that same material later, the little nuances of change. I think that's why learning antibiotics in medical school. So frustrating because you're
1: memorizing all this very basic information about them. That's not super practical in the real world. But then again, if you'd memorized all the very practical applications and time elapses, that stuff changes. So I'm not jealous of the people who have to teach it. I hated ID in medical school. And now I absolutely love it because once you get to the practical and try to tie that basic information in like, The mechanism of action of metronidazole completely explains its spectrum of activity and it's fascinating. It's interesting, but it's not really interesting until you're treating patients with it from my perspective
0: or playing a game. (laughs) Yeah, no, I completely agree. (laughs) (laughs) And that was the Red Book. Was that the CDC or is it IDSA that does the Red Book? Red Book is the AAP. Oh my God, it's
1: on my desk right now. I misspoke. It's 2018 through 2021 is the current Red Book. So that's AAP policy in one single place, which is nice. So the game is based on Red Book, IDSA. There's some CDC stuff, like all those STI guidelines were published by the CDC and MMWR.
0: I like the concept of this. And I think maybe if these games were utilized more by students early on, they could be passed down to the next generation. So similar to flashcard decks, you can go on to like Anki and upload and download large decks that were made by previous students, it'd be really interesting to have some sort of repository. That way the information can be updated, but also it could be made a little bit more intriguing, more entertaining while not losing the educational content of these types of creations.
1: Once you have a framework of a game like
0: this, it's not that hard to plug in
1: new information as it comes. So right now I have three ID docs looking at the emergency medicine cases. So I'm going to come out with an emergency medicine version probably before the end of the year, applying the exact same framework, the exact same icon language of the game is that helps stabilize like kind of the information into the right kind of categories. So there'll be an emergency medicine version. I'm going to try to keep developing content for other areas based on the same framework because the hard part is actually building up all like the icons and the little cartoons for the mechanisms and things like that.
0: I want to definitely follow this and play this game very soon and see which new ones come out. It'd be interesting if they could all interact in some way in the future too, sort of like expansion decks on a card game. So you get that more intermixed knowledge and dispersion of information, uh, the more integrated education, as they like to say all the time in the education realms. You know, you boost your knowledge by bringing back
1: the content every so often. It's like Anki's program to do.
0: Well, this sounds really intriguing. I definitely would like to explore this a little more with you in the future and definitely guide the audience to using these decks. I think they're going to be very useful. It sounds like especially for the clinical education aspect, especially that's kind of the direction of it right now.
1: If a medical student was going to use it, the peds or the emergency medicine would be something you would pull out on that clerkship. This is not for like first and second years.
0: Not for step one
1: prep kind of stuff. It's one level too clinical for that. I mean, you could use it for step one because it's got the mechanisms and the spectrum of activity, but I don't think it would be the most efficient use. It's really for that EM clerkship, the PEDS clerkship, and then whichever one's come in the future. And then for residents in those
0: domains. Okay. And that would be at empiricgame.com, you said?
1: Yeah, that's correct.
0: All right. Is there any other place that you would like to direct the audience to to find out more about you or the game? Yeah, definitely. I'm more of a Twitter native than anywhere else.
1: At Game is my Twitter handle for the game. Also my personal one is linked from that, but it's harder to spell. There's like an Instagram and a Facebook group too. all that stuff. You can kind of reach just by Googling it probably. So if you want to Google impaired game, there's also, there is a list on the webpage of some other games that are designed for antimicrobial education, like for non-medical learners, as well as links to a few other serious games that other people are developing. One's called farmageddon, which is a really great one. That's got a print and play available right now as well as that other one gridlock that I mentioned. So the webpage has links to a bunch of other games.
0: Okay. I like it. It sounds like there could be a real compilation here from like the non-medical education all the way up to medical school to clinical rotations and just on and on and on. These gamified teaching methodologies can be useful for anyone at any stage of their education. Yeah, definitely.
1: And I would more than anything, if you're going to be teaching someone, think about throwing together Just get some three by five cards, make up a little game, do some matching, do some something like that, because there's a lot of things you can do yourself to apply gamification to your teaching that I think is really where some of the best gains are to be made.
0: Agreed. And it tests out your gaps in your knowledge right there. So you can find those out ahead of time as you're trying to make the game and then study those more thoroughly yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll definitely have all of those links to you and to the game in the show notes. Do you have any parting thoughts for the audience? Happy to connect with any of you guys on
1: social media, especially anyone who's trying to make their own game. Love to hear what you're doing and kind of see your process. So if you're doing that, please reach out to me. And hey, thanks a lot for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: No, it was great having you on. I'm glad we can continue discussing these like gamified topics. And I really hope that this is a direction that medical education explores further in the future, hopefully with the help of individuals like yourself. And I want to thank you so much for coming on, Dr. Mike Kosomini. Thank you very much. Have a good one, Chase. Have you been thinking about one-on-one training and tutoring at a reasonable price? Well, Prospective Doctor is now sponsoring a limited number of free sessions with me each month. To register, you can go to prospectivedoctorcom slash chase and register for a free 30-minute coaching session. If you decide that you want to use their MCAT or USMLE tutoring services, you can now use the code chase10 to receive 10% off of your first $400 spent. Just enter Chase 10 and get your discount now.
1: The Medical Mnemonist podcast is powered by Med School Coach. To access Med School Coach services, including USMLE tutoring and residency admissions advising, visit our website at medschoolcoach.com. Good luck as you prepare for your board exams, and we hope you tune in again next time.